Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all here today. And before we get started, would you uh, bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, we are so, so thankful for the gift of your word, uh, the freedom and the space that we have to be able to hear your word uh, read out loud publicly proclaimed, that we can hear it. Lord, that you've given us ears to hear it and, and that you have opened our hearts to understand it. And here, Lord, as we continue to hear your word proclaimed and preached, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us wisdom and understanding and conviction and encouragement. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I know it feels like we only just got done with Thanksgiving, uh, but as you know, Christmas is fast approaching, and as Pastor Michael already noted, we're entering the season called Advent, and as Michael noted, that means coming, although I always feel like it should mean waiting, because that's all that we're really doing at this time of year, is waiting, waiting for Christmas Day, waiting for the presents, waiting for the big celebration. But of course it doesn't, it means coming and with a view back to Jesus' first coming and a, a look ahead to Jesus' glorious second coming. And so many people during this season will, will light candles or have an Advent wreath or special times of family worship and celebration at home as, as a way to mark the days and the weeks leading up to Christmas Day. And then for others, as always, things like the uh, giant inflatable Christmas dragon that our neighbors put up across the street. I, I wish I had a photograph of it. But um, no offense if you're part of your tradition is to have a giant inflatable Christmas dragon with a Santa hat. But I, I just don't quite understand how that fits with the story. Um, but it does highlight, every time I see it, it highlights a really important question. And that's what exactly are we celebrating at this time of year? And to answer that question, we're going to do things a little bit differently this Advent season. And we're going to focus our attention on the opening of the Gospel of John. Now, I know we're very familiar with all the more traditional Advent readings. You heard some already this morning. We're going to get to all of those over the coming weeks. You won't miss those. The donkeys, the, the shepherds, the angels, all of that. But, but John draws our gaze out a little bit further, a little bit wider, to see the bigger picture beyond all the traditional nativity scenes. And so this morning, uh, would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1, and let me read to you uh, the first five verses. John says this in, in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, "...in the beginning was the Word." And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, although there's a lot packed into these few verses. John emphasizes clearly one main point here for us this morning. Jesus is God. 
Don't let the, the twinkling stars and the straw and the swaddling cloths lead you astray. That little baby lying in a manger, he is the light and the life of the world. Fully man, yes, absolutely. But also, and so importantly, fully and completely and absolutely God as well. Now, this may seem obvious and self-evident to us, but in the face of, of Christmas dragons and, and inflatable Santa Clauses everywhere, it's a message that we need to keep coming back to every year, time and time again, and, and one we need to keep proclaiming to a world that has, for the most part, completely lost sight of why Christmas even exists. So, this morning, my first encouragement to you today from John chapter 1 is to rejoice in the divine power of Jesus. Rejoice in the divine power of Jesus. Look with me at these first two verses again. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, this is not the place that we usually start Advent, Right? I mean, we usually think of a baby lying in a manger or, or, or Joseph leading a very pregnant Mary to the inn in, in Bethlehem or, or perhaps uh, the angel Gabriel coming and speaking to Mary and telling her she's going to get pregnant or, or going even further back to, to Zechariah in the temple and the angel announcing to him that his wife will soon have a baby. And we'll touch on all those stories but the Gospel of John is so remarkably different than all the other stories because of the way in which he starts. John takes us way, 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 way back on our timeline. Before the prophets, before the kings, before the patriarchs, before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, before the flood, before Eden, even. You're familiar with fairy tales that begin, you know, a long time ago in a land far, far away. But this story begins outside of time and space. Before anything else existed, there was the Word. That's where John's Gospel begins, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existing in perfect union, lacking nothing, needing nothing. Perfect pure, holy, absolute. It is truly the very beginning of all things. Now, you can't capture that on a Christmas card, right? I mean, what would you put? Uh, there's no snow, there's no nativity scene, uh, no angels even. The card would have to be blank, except even that wouldn't be accurate. Because what we learn in this text is that before the beginning of creation, there actually was something. Actually, not something, but someone. In the beginning was the Word. Now, it makes my head hurt trying to make sense of all this, right? And I certainly can't begin to paint a picture of it. But this is where the Christmas story truly begins, not in a place, not even in a specific time, but with a person. 
Not an ideal, not a a vague, impersonal energy force, but a person, a person who will dominate all of human history from beginning to end, a person who will infuse every page of Scripture, a person whose birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension brings meaning and purpose and direction to every single moment of our lives now as Christians, a person whose advent we are preparing to celebrate here over the coming weeks. Now the story, as John tells it, places a direct and very clear link back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So we see, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in Genesis we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's a callback, a a, a hyperlink, a a direct reference linking John's gospel to the first book of the Torah. Because this baby that's about to be born, he represents an entirely new beginning, a new era, a new moment in the history of the world, more significant than the flood, more significant than the exodus, more significant than the giving of the law, more significant than the exile and the return and the rebuilding of the temple. The birth of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, will change everything forever, literally. Like, actually will change everything. But John goes even further because he wants us to see not only was the Word, Jesus, present at the beginning, but the Word was with God. Now, before we go any further, we have to pause and say, well, but who is this Word, and and what is his relationship with God? And, And if it's Jesus, why doesn't John just call him Jesus like everybody else does? Well, theologians have wrestled with this question for years, looking for sources and references in, in Jewish philosophy and Hellenistic philosophy and pagan sources and, and all other uh, options. And in the end, I think the most obvious reference is to what we read in the Old Testament. The most obvious reference is to the powerful spoken words of God himself. Throughout the Genesis account, we read over and over again that, that, that God create simply by speaking things into existence, right? He doesn't, he doesn't think them into existence. He doesn't mold them or shape them into existence. He speaks them into being. Words, communication, speaking, these are at the very heart of who God is. They are part of his character. Our God is a God who speaks, who communicates. You think about it, our own words are powerful, right? I mean, they can wound, they can heal, they can both start wars and even also end them. They can express lament and loss, love and laughter. In fact, one of my very favorite parts about Christmas is singing carols and songs, right? Praising God with my my words, both calling out and calling forth joy to the whole world, But God's words, they bring forth life on a scale that we can barely even imagine. So we read in Psalm 33, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. 
And his son, then, is the ultimate reflection of that speaking. That's why the author of the, uh, the book of Hebrews will say, in words that echo John's, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has shown us, he has talked to us, no, he, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Throughout the Old Testament, the Word of God is this powerful, life-giving, life-changing, world-creating force. But the most radiant reflection of that speech comes in the Son, Jesus Christ. And so the phrase, the Word, it truly captures the verbal aspect of God's character. But this Word, the Son, Jesus Christ, He is also described by John as being with God. That one little word there means there's a difference. There's a distinction here between the Word and God. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. They are unique persons. The Word is with God in in a relational sense. They exist in communion and community together. An intimate connection reflected later in the name that Joseph is told he's to call his son. The angel says, you will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The Word, this is crazy. The Word, who was with God at the beginning, took on flesh and came to be with us so that we could in turn be with him for all of eternity. What an incredible gift that is. But John makes one final point here in verse 1. He says, and the Word was God. This Word is both unique and separate from God and also one with God. Very God of very God, of one substance with the Father, as we read in the Nicene Creed. So the Word is not a God, but the Word is God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, but the Father is God, and the Son, the Word, is God. He shares the same uh, substance, the same essence as the Father. This is such an important reminder for us here at Christmas. As we celebrate and focus on the wonder of the incarnation, God made flesh. Incredible, for sure. But as much as Jesus was fully human, a living, breathing, crying little baby in a manger, so too was Jesus, John wants us to be clear here, so too was Jesus also fully God, the Lord of all creation. This is the enigma of Isaiah 9, which we just heard Teresa read to us. Unto us a child is born, But at the same time, this little tiny child will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's amazing. But now why bring so much heady theology into our celebration of Advent? Precisely because it's so hard to hold the the divinity of Christ and, and the humanity of Christ together at the same time. And in the crush of activities, year-end meetings, projects, parties, and events, with all the stress and strain of the season, 
all the relational drama, all the financial difficulties, in the middle of all of that, John wants to remind us, stands the Word, powerful to bring healing and help and hope that we crave and need so desperately. When we're lying in bed late at night, unable to sleep, when we're sitting at our desks with our heads in our hands, when we're staring at our phones, not sure what to do or to say, how to respond, the Word, God Himself is with us here now, possessing the full power of God to speak life into whatever situation we find ourselves in. He was with God in the beginning. And most significantly, He is with you now, here, still, today. Now, my second encouragement to you from our text this morning is to rejoice in the creative power of Jesus. And one of my favorite memories from elementary school was making Christmas decorations. You guys do this uh, maybe at home with your kids or if they've been at school or maybe you remember when you were in Sunday school as a kid, like those little paper chains, you know, you link the little strips of paper and you can hang them on a tree or little popcorn strands um, or, uh, or maybe the paper angels that you could make and you take a little bits of uh, cotton wool or something, or, you know, you fold the piece of paper and you cut it and then you unfold it and you get the little snowflake patterns, although this is the work of a 50-year-old man, not a five-year-old. <laughs> so uh, they looked a little different when I was smaller. Um, and all this creation, it's not just for the kids, right? It's for the adults, too, at this time of year. I mean, sure, maybe you're not making paper chains and snowflakes as adults, Instead, you're making charcuterie boards or, uh, or rolling wax candles or wrapping presents and making them look nice or decorating the house, putting up lights, even just coming up with a special hot chocolate drink or, or trying to do something to make the house smell nice. Why? Because it's fun and festive, sure, but also because it's an outlet for our creativity that's innate in all of us. It's, not, it's a way not just to live in the world, but for us to interact with it, right? Even if you don't think you're creative or an artist, you're constantly forming, shaping, redesigning, interacting with the world around you. We do this in a thousand different ways every day. And this is really just an outworking of what it means to be made in the image of God, that we can reflect in some imperfect, imperfect, limited way the creative character of our God. Right? An attribute we see emphasized here in our text in the very next verse. Right? All things were made, created, through him, through the word, and without him was not anything made that was made. And we're used to thinking of Jesus as being our Savior and our Redeemer, and of course he is those things. But John wants to remind us that the word was also intimately involved in creation, right, as well. The word, Jesus, he didn't just take a, a few things off the Father's to-do list, like, here you go, Jesus, you can help with these things over here. The text says, all things were made through him. And, and then it's like John wants to say, look, as if I just want to be really crystal clear here. When I say all things, 
I mean, all things. Without him, Jesus, was not anything made that was made. This includes the stars, the planets, the earth, the water, the animals, the birds, the fish, the plants, the trees, especially the Christmas trees, the snowflakes, the ice that we skate on, even us, right? But it also means the entire spiritual realm as well. All the angels created through the world, a realm that we cannot see, but which nevertheless exerts a powerful influence on our lives. And we see all these strands come together in the passage that we heard read this morning from Luke chapter 1, right, where the angel Gabriel is sent from God to Mary. The angel Gabriel, who himself was made through the Word, passing into this physical realm, made through the Word, right, coming to Mary, made for just this purpose, through the creative work of the Word, to announce the incarnation of the Word. It's wild to think about how all this ties together exactly. The Christmas story, then, it is at its heart a story of creation, right, of two totally different women conceiving in two incredibly different but miraculous ways, right? Elizabeth, too old to have kids. Mary, not supposed to have any kids. Neither of them planning or thinking or expecting to get pregnant. And yet, as Gabriel explains to Mary, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Divine acts of creation bringing life out of nothing. Nothing is impossible with God because he is the creator and he can create at will. Going back to our passage in, in John 1, when John stresses that all things were made through Jesus, he means that all created things are therefore subsumed under his lordship. Jesus is greater than all the gods, lowercase g. Jesus is greater than all the gods of this world, right? however powerful and alluring they may be. Why? Because money, sex, power, these are all just parts of the creation, right? And no part of creation can exceed the creator. If you'll forgive the food analogy, it, it would be like worshiping the pumpkin pie and completely ignoring the chef who made it, right? I mean, I love pies. One of my favorite parts of this time of year, apple pie, pumpkin pie, pecan pie, whatever kind of pie. Stick it in pastry, and I'm going to eat it. But a pie is just a bunch of flour, sugar, butter thrown together, right? It tastes great. It's fun to eat, but it can't make itself, right? It takes the expertise and the practice and the skilled work of a baker to bring these ingredients together and make something out of them. And here's the thing, if, if you only take a few bites, you will always find yourself craving more. But eat half a pie, and you'll 
hypothetically, and you'll wish that you had never set eyes on it to begin with. And we just can't ever begin to find, seem to find that sweet spot right in the middle, right? Satisfied with what we have, satisfied with what God gives us. The good gifts of this world constantly leave us craving more and more and more. But when we let those desires control us, we end up trapped in sin, wishing we could go back in time and do things differently. Especially at this time of year, whether it's food or presents or clothes or, or whatever it is, we are constantly getting sidetracked by the, 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 the pie, so to speak, and completely ignoring the Creator who made all things. But Advent is a time when the exact opposite should be true, when the glory of God's marvelous creation should direct our gaze back to the one who made it all, the one through whom all things were made and without whom was not anything made that was made. So where is your gaze fixed this Advent? Now, my final encouragement to you today from the text is this, rejoice in the light and life-giving power of Jesus. Now, look with me at verses 4 and 5 of our text. John says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And we've already talked about the Word's life-giving role in creation and His divine status as God. But here, John brings out a different aspect of the Word as being both life and light, images that would have resonated deeply with both Jewish and Gentile audiences, right? Jews would have connected with the allusions to God as, as author of life. They would have been familiar with the concept of God's written Word being a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. But Gentiles would also have connected with the broader concepts of life and light, seeing them as referring maybe to, to special wisdom or spiritual illumination, even if that was not rooted in the Old Testament in any way. But this life which John talks about was not just about length of days, right? But fullness of life. A life led by the Word and filled with the power of God. A life freed from the curse of sin and the threat of death. The kind of life that I know I want, and I'm guessing you want also. The kind of life that only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The kind of life that is empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. The kind of life that is focused on dying to self and seeing the kingdom of God grow and expand, and disciples made, and lives changed, and glory and honor and praise and worship being offered to our Lord and King. That's the kind of life that the Word brings to us today, if we will see it and accept it and give our lives over to it. I think of it as living a sort of a, a Lord's Prayer kind of life. What do I mean by that? You know, praying constantly through this season. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, not my name. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom, not my petty desires and wishes. 
Your will be done, not my desires. And on and on. A framework so that for sort of reorienting our, all of our needs, our desires, our wishes, our wants, our ambitions around God and His glory and not our own. A prayer that, if offered in the right spirit, has the power to then keep us grounded in Jesus throughout the ups and downs of this Christmas season. You know, Jesus, uh, uh, John, Luke, I'll get there. Luke brings this idea to life in the forefront of his gospel, where the angel Gabriel tells Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The life that comes through the word emphasizes God's sovereignty, even as it offers us our own salvation. As John says later in one of his letters, whoever has the Son has life, salvation, eternal life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. But this life will bring light to the world as well, the light of revelation and salvation, opening the eyes of the blind, setting the captives free. I so need to hear this at this time of year, right? The days are getting shorter and shorter, and, and the darkness really presses in, right? Sometimes the day feels like it, it, it's over before it's even started. You drive to work in the dark, and you drive home in the dark, right? Everything around us appears to be dead or dying or brown, gray, gloomy, cold, wet, depressing. It feels as if the darkness is winning. So I resonate when I hear verses like we heard from Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness, I feel like I'm walking in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. I feel like I'm walking in darkness right now. But of course, neither Isaiah nor John were talking about literal darkness, literal lights. The light for Isaiah represented the powerful hand of God working to sweep aside all the enemies of Israel, bringing healing and restoration and hope to the land. And in a similar way, the light represented for John the powerful hand of God working to sweep aside the ultimate enemy of all people in the world, sin, death. Instead, bringing healing and restoration, not, not to one nation, not to one people, but to all nations, to all peoples. A light that would slowly grow and expand to reach the ends of the earth, bringing joy to all the world. Jesus would later stand up in the temple in Jerusalem and declare this publicly, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know about you, but in, in, in my house, one crimped wire or slightly loose light bulb is enough to 
ruin my entire set of Christmas lights, right? LEDs or no LEDs, it doesn't seem to matter. Every year, there's at least one strand that decides it's all done dispensing Christmas spirit, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm done. And so right now, in front of our house, is a tree, and it's got these giant black spots on it, <laughs> where the lights are just like, yeah, we're done. But there's no failed fuse, no crimped wire, not even the deepest, darkest cave in all the world can drown out the light of the world. There is no illness too severe, no marital crisis too bleak, no obstacle too difficult. There is no sin that is too heavy that the light of Christ cannot reach into it and bring new life. As John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Contrary to popular belief, it doesn't mean that there's equal and opposite forces, light and dark, and they're dueling it out, and we don't know who's going to win. Right? John is crystal clear. The light shines. The darkness has not, will not, cannot ever overcome it. Imagine, if you will, if you could go to a football stadium, and somehow you could rip down one of those giant floodlights and haul it to your house, and somehow work it down into your dingy, dark, unfinished basement and, and wire it up so that you could flip those lights on, right? It would obliterate the darkness, right? There would be no hiding from the light. There would be no escaping it, no dark, suspicious corners with murky stuff going on that you can't see. Only light. There would be no contest. And in a similar way, the darkness that was over the face of the deep at the dawn of creation was completely obliterated with just four simple words from God. Let there be light. And that light has never ceased to shine. The light of the world continues to break apart the darkness of sin and evil and depression and loneliness and isolation and heartache and grief and loss and pain and suffering and anything else that threatens to consume us. Nothing will ever be able to put it out. Satan tried, right, once. And just when he thought he had won, when he was convinced the game was over, when he was sure he had finally overcome the light, Jesus burst forth out of the grave, conquering death and sin, declaring victory over all his enemies, bringing the light of revelation to all who would receive it. And as we wrap all this up, in the face of this glorious news, there is only one response left open to us, and that is to rejoice. Rejoice that the baby whose birth we're preparing to celebrate was life itself. The stars and the Christmas lights we see everywhere right now, they're not just cute decorations. They represent the light of the world, the salvation that is yours and mine now in Jesus Christ, a divine light that can never be overcome a creative light that shines brightly, a life-giving light that will endure forever. So this season, I pray that, that you and I both, all of us, would sing loudly, that we would praise God jubilantly, that we would celebrate enthusiastically, soaking up every last 
moment you can wring out of Christmas this year and give thanks to the Word made flesh in whom all things were made and through whom all things are held together for His glory and our good. Would you pray with me now? Lord, we're so thankful, so thankful that you came and took on flesh and dwelled among us, that you came to bring us light and life in the middle of this darkness. And we pray that you would help us set aside all the, the, the doubts, the guilt, the shame, the fears, and the frustrations that threaten to consume us with darkness this season. Fill us with the light of your Son, Lord, the radiance of the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, infusing our lives, our families, our homes, our church, our community. And Lord, we pray this through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.